Welcome to another I-29 Moo University Dairy Podcast. I'm Kim Clark, Extension Dairy Educator at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and today I have the pleasure of having a guest, Ricky Woods, with me. Welcome, Ricky. Hello, Kim. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Very well. Good. Ricky, can you provide a kind of an overview of who you are and what you do for our audience? Absolutely. So my name is Ricky Woods. I am employed with the United States Department of Agriculture, and it's a division called Wildlife Services. What we do is animal damage control. Actually, our name used to be animal damage control before they switched it to wildlife services. And uh, we work in the agricultural industry, helping farmers, ranchers, your everyday people uh, that cannot solve their wildlife issues. They can give us a call and we'll come in and help and do what we can. All right. So Ricky, I guess one of the questions I have for you, um, we see ebbs and flows of bird problems. Um, I'm going to focus on dairy today, but we can talk about livestock in general because we do see it Mm -hmm. on feedlots and, you know, in other areas. But we see ebbs and flows. And now we're starting to get into the season where birds are starting to roll into the freestall barns and nest and make their roots. And, you know, And they don't come with one or two birds. It's a whole flock of birds. So let's talk about some of the reasons we need to mitigate the plan other than they're a nuisance, they're annoying, they're loud, and they poop everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, the the last part there, you said the pooping everywhere causes most of your problems that you're going to see. Typically what happens for us is usually the fall, uh, the birds start bunching back together. Um, They've gone away. They've done their nesting. Uh, they bring their babies back with them. And now there's a group of anywhere from a thousand to a hundred thousand birds that decide that this is a good place that we want to uh, take up and we're going to eat and we're going to loaf in this area. Typically they don't roost there. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but uh, they come in, they cause a variety of issues uh, for the farmer, everything from tearing insulation out of their building uh, causing, you know, the holes in the insulation and, and then therefore the insulation starts to fall down into the pins and then you're not as efficient in keeping your barn controlled as well. But the major issue is feed consumption, feed contamination, and then the diseases that they're, they're bringing into those barns. There's been some research done that about one starling coming in will consume one penny of food per day. So that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you bring 100,000 birds in, now you're causing a lot of economical cost to that farmer because you have 100,000 birds at a penny a day coming out of his pocket, his or her pocket. And then the biggest concern, I think, for a lot of the farmers and ranchers out there is the disease aspect, especially in the dairy world. When the cattle start uh, eating the food that's been contaminated by feces or feathers, they pick up E. coli, salmonella, crypto, histoplasmosis, all that kind of stuff. And they'll go off milk. When they go off milk, that's a big problem for the dairy farmer. That's exactly right. Not only is is the nuisance an issue, but I didn't realize the economic loss that birds can bring from the food aspect of, you know, like you said, one penny a day, it doesn't sound like much. But when you have a thousand or a hundred thousand birds each day for how long of a period do we typically see them in the barns before they leave for the winter? So typically you'll see them start rolling in depending on how harsh the winter is, but late October is when I'll you know, start seeing a few here and there. Uh, the majority of the birds you're going to start seeing late November, December, January, February, and then sometime in March, they will 
dissipate. So they're there for a good three or four months. And like I said, if they're eating that much or, and that's just eating the food, that's not counting how much of the food they're contaminating as well. So you're having that economic loss that they're having to endure for several months. You identified starlings as one of the nuisance birds. What other nuisance birds are out there? So in the dairies and the feedlot area, uh, pigeons are a nuisance bird for them as well. The thing with pigeons is, is yeah, they reproduce fast, but they're not recruiting other birds all the time. Where the starlings, it's a much bigger problem because of, you know, there's a hundred birds that now attract another hundred birds, attract another hundred birds, and it just keeps growing. And with starlings, we found that once they find a place that they like, they come back year after year after year. So you might start with a small flock there and you think, oh, this isn't such a big problem. But then the next year, those hundred birds go off and they each have three babies and two of those three babies survive and they come back with that flock. And now you've got a flock of 500. And then the next year they go off and they have babies and they come back and it just keeps growing exponentially until you feel like you're underwater. Let's say I'm you, Ricky, and you get a call from the farmer down the road that says, I have a bird problem. I've been trying to take care of it for years. I've tried owls. I've tried noises. I've tried everything I can think of. What advice do you give to dairy producers? So typically what I do then is I like to come out and take a site visit. I want to come out and see what's actually going on and find out, is this a, is this a starling issue where they're coming in and they're loafing there all day? Is this, they're just there overnight? Because there's birds that move in and they're in there feeding, consuming, staying there all day. And then there's some birds that just, it's a nice warm building. I want to come in there at night and I want to, you know, sleep there and stay warm. But during the day I'm gone. So I like to see what is actually going on because there's different solutions for each one. Obviously, if we can exclude them from a building or an area, then that's your best avenue to go. Just prevent them from being there. There's uh, pyrotechnics, there's uh, noisemakers, there's things like that that we can try to disturb them enough that they don't want to come back. There's also some trapping methods that we can use to bring the numbers down. There's some toxicants out there. There's a variety of different things. So for me, the number one thing is just to, if they're having a problem, I want to come in, take a look, see what kind of problem you're having, how big the problem is, and then we'll come up with a management plan to alleviate some of that damage. You mentioned that some birds might come in during the day and leave in the evening and go elsewhere. When you do a site assessment, are you also looking at other dairies in the area or the other feedlots in the area and communicating with them or asking them if they're having any issues? And I'm asking because I have visited with some dairies that have the daytime problem says it's not a problem at night. It's just a problem during the day because at night they go to the dairy down the road. So do you see a lot of that happening? Yeah, what we deal with the most, I would say, is probably that same exact situation you just said. We have a dairy or a feedlot that has birds. They're there all day. They're feeding. But at night they're gone. So what we typically do in that situation then is when I'm doing my site assessment is I wait there in the evening and then when the birds take off because they're a big flock of birds, you just track them and you find out usually it's within 20 mile radius. They will find a place to sleep for the night. Uh, so we try to track those birds. Now that might take a day, it might take three or four days. So what we do is when the birds leave those barns and they're flying, 
we will track them down the road as best we can. If we lose them, the next night we start where we lost them. They'll fly over us. We start tracking them again until we find out that they're roost- where they're roosting at that night. That way we have an idea, again, of the whole picture and what is going to work best to try to alleviate this issue. Just because I'm curious, if they have a 20-mile radius, how are you tracking? What's your methods for tracking? Usually if it's just myself, you can see a flock of this size of birds from a mile away. So we typically sit off. The rancher or the farmer usually knows they head southeast when they leave. And so we'll sit a mile or two off southeast, wait for them to come past, and then we just try to drive and stay with them as best as we can until it's either not safe or we can't keep up with them. And then the next night we come back and we sit where we lost them and we track them another three or four or five miles. And then we sit there the next night and track them until we find where they end up. It's just line of sight, basically. Interesting. Let's get a handle on what stage of life these birds are. Uh, when they're feeding, then are they gestating? Are they tending a, a nest or what are they besides pooping in the cow behind? Typically, what we deal with is the birds over the wintertime. And so they are trying to consume as much as they can to stay warm. All their babies are grown up. Uh, they're not really having a nest at all anymore. All they're concerned about now is consuming enough calories to stay warm throughout the winter. I have had some questions about, are there approved chemicals that you can use to rid your barns of the birds? There are a few chemicals out there. They're not designed to rid your barn of the birds. So what they are designed for is uh, frightening devices. So uh, there's uh, Avitrol, for example, is one that is like a restricted use pesticide that most farmers and ranchers can purchase, but it is... The active ingredient is basically enough that it will kill just a small few that then have a reaction to that and it's supposed to scare the other ones away. Company that I work for, there is a chemical that we use that is called DRC-1339. It is not open to the public. It is uh, restricted to our use only, mostly because it was open to the public years ago and it got misused and taken off the market and Now it's very, very well monitored of how it's used, but it is a chemical that we use a lot on dairies and feedlots. It is a very safe toxicant in the fact of if I put that bait out with the toxicant mixed in with it and say the cattle get out and they eat all that bait, it's specific only to birds. So if I have a personal issue, I don't want you to poison them. What options do we have? Right. So there's actually a coworker of mine. His name is James Teal. He works in the Omaha area mostly. And I got to give him a shout out. I'm sure he's going to listen to this. He designed a starling trap. Now he started with an original design somebody else came up with, and then he's modified it over the years. And he's had a lot of success coming into dairies and feedlots and putting up these starling traps. Basically what it is, is it's cattle panels that are wrapped in chicken wire. um, And then there's a basket in there and he puts a handful of birds in these chambers and it attracts the birds over there. And then there's a bait, the birds drop down into the trap and then they basically can't find their way back out. The downside to it is it does take a little time. It's something where you're going to put up a trap at the beginning of fall and pretty much run it all winter long uh, to reduce the numbers down. It's relatively expensive to start with, 
you have to buy all the materials. But once you have them, then it's something you can run every year here on out to keep your birds down. It takes some time because obviously you can't just let the birds go in the trap and die. So you have water that you have to keep open in the wintertime. So you have to um, run electricity to keep water open because the key to it is having some live birds in there all the time. Having 10 or 15 birds in there attracts those other birds over there uh, to trap them. So trapping is effective. There's tools that way. Uh, The other effective tool that we use a lot is just harassment. The key to harassment is that you have to be diligent to it. So you have to come in and basically spend seven to 10 days uh, and just chase the birds around, just make them uncomfortable being there. Everything from taking two by fours and putting them on a hinge and clapping them together to uh, taking a shotgun and, and shooting in the air to make the noise, pyrotechnics, everything you can do just to keep the birds moving. Don't let them land. And like I said, though, it takes a lot of time and effort. And so if you miss a day or two, then they get comfortable again. You got to start over again. So um, it can become a, an issue for some guys because they don't have that much time to dedicate to push birds off their place. How much time would you estimate it takes to push the birds off a dairy? I would say it depends again on the situation. If you're doing the birds that are there all day, every day during the day, you are going to have to chase them for at least seven to 10 days from sunup to sundown. Just don't let them get comfortable all day, every day for a week to 10 days. If you're dealing with a roost, so they're coming in at night, they're roosting in your barn, then typically the best solution there is to use pyrotechnics and stand guard essentially around your barn, have one or two or three people around the barn. And as they're trying to fly in, you're shooting pyrotechnics, you're making the noise, you're trying to, to make them uncomfortable. So you do that the first night on a roost, they're going to go in. They don't know where else to go. By about day four or five, you're getting to the point where you've got just a handful of birds left. And so you're shooting for that four to seven day window again, but you're out there the last hour before dark till just after dark. So it's a lot less time-wise that you're investing. Does that make sense to you? Yep. That sounds good. So, you know, if you pick up any trade magazine, go to the back, there are these bird spikes and window straps Mm -hmm. and all sorts of things that eliminate my bird problem. Tell us about So there's all kinds of different products out there. The bird spikes, they're an effective product for certain species, certain areas. Everything has their their niche, I would say. The netting, netting works really well if it's installed properly. But if you get one corner of netting that's not put up quite right, the birds find their way behind it. Once they find their way behind it, they're going to knock it all down. So exclusion, we, we love exclusion. If we can exclude them from the barn with netting, with I've talked to guys uh, that use, like if you go into a grocery store and you go into the cold section and they got those clear plastic, like octopus arms coming down type thing. I've talked to guys and got them to hang those in their doorways. You can still drive through them. You can still walk through them, but it's a barrier now that the birds can't get through. Bird spikes, uh, daddy long legs, just the wires that go across, they all have their spot, but in most dairies, it's not feasible. There's too many areas to put up bird spikes. And then if it's not put up exactly right, the birds still just roost right on top of them. So there's the frightening devices, the things that make out the noises, 
There's the owls that perch. I've seen them all used. Uh, the owls are good for about two to three day window. And then they get habituated to them. And then they'll stand right on top of the owl. Same thing with that bird call stuff. They get habituated to it. So you have to mix things up. So if you decide you want to do the owls, you need to move the owls around every few days. And you need to do more than one. And hopefully you have an actual owl in the area that's helping you out by predating on some of these birds to reinforce that. If you get to the point where you're using nothing but the bird spikes and the owls, the screeching stuff, they can be effective, but it's typically smaller areas and areas that don't typically have huge problems to begin with. You've mentioned a couple of times about your services and coming out to do an assessment of the situation. Mm -hmm. Two questions. One, how does someone get a hold of you or other USDA Wildlife Services staff? And then two, is there a fee for your services? First of all, the best way to get a hold of us is I can give you our office number. And that number is 402-434-2340. And that is the state office here in Nebraska. So if you call that number, if you have a problem anywhere in the state, they will give you the number of the closest guy in your area. In Nebraska specifically, I'm going to talk about Nebraska because I'm not sure about the other states, how they handle it. But here in Nebraska, we have several field guys that are all throughout Nebraska. If they are in a cooperating county, and by cooperating county, what I mean is certain counties in Nebraska pitch in money. And if you are in a cooperating county, then the services are, I don't want to say 100% covered because uh, depending on what they have to do, if it's just man hours, they're usually covered. If they have to do a chemical application on top of that, then usually the dairy or the feedlot is responsible for the cost of the chemical only. If you're in a non-cooperating county, then usually we do a site visit. There's no cost to the site visit. Come out, we'll give you a technical assistance. If he can tell you how to solve it on your own, that's great. Then it's no money out of your pocket, that kind of thing. If it's something that's a big problem that you can't handle, you're going to need our help, then yes, we will charge for our hours or chemical cost or whatever we have to. The difference is with wildlife services, we break even. So whatever we have to put into it, that's what we're going to charge you. We're not going to try to make a profit on it. Perfect. Fred, you have any further questions? One question, you know, I travel and talk with dairymen. Some herds have always had the problem with birds. Others never have a problem. What are the kind of things that draw birds? What, why would barn A draw them and barn B doesn't? Is it something you can share that says, okay, if you clean up this, you probably will minimize bird issues? Not really. It's, uh, I, I hate to say it, it's bad luck. Uh, typically what happens is a few birds stopped at your barn. They just decided it was a good place and they brought other birds with them the next time they came back. It's not, hey, you know, if you do this, they're going to go away. If you, you know, put this tile barn up, they're going to go away. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It just happens to be, this is where the birds stopped for the day and they liked it. Uh, you've shared some really great information with us. Can you send the listeners, is there a website that you think has a lot of great information or where should they go to start? Right. So typically what I go to is, it's actually through UNL. It's the wildlife handbook that they have. 
and it is online now. And I cannot tell you off the top of my head what the website is. Maybe Kim can look that up and put a link in the podcast, but it's the wildlife damage handbook from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And that is a good place to start. And then uh, again, I would just encourage you to reach out to your wildlife services agency. There's typically no cost for talking to me on the phone or having me come out and take a look and see what the problem is. I've been working for wildlife services for 18 years. I can pretty well tell you when I step on site that this is what your problem is before you even tell me and typically can give you the best avenue to alleviate the problem. Now, will we get rid of 100% of your birds? Probably not. Will we knock it down so that there's just a handful of birds there? Yeah, we can do that. We can get it so it's an acceptable level. And then what I always tell people too, when I come onto your place and we knock those birds down to an acceptable level, don't let it get that bad again. So you might have to treat again for a year or two, but then it's more of a maintenance program after that. So you want to come in and keep those numbers down instead of letting them rebuild to a huge flock again. So it's not just a one time and done. Right. It is, it is not. Now I've had some berries that got fortunate and we knocked them way down and they got almost all the birds gone and the birds left, never came back. Uh, but typically I would say if we knock them way down. You're looking at every two or three years of wanting us to come back in and do a smaller treatment or reassess what we can do to keep those numbers down. Perfect. This is great information. I think it's really timely information too. You know, we're recording this in July and now's the time that everyone should start preparing, especially dairy producers should start preparing for potential birds in their barns. I think you mentioned October is about the time we'll start seeing them come in every year. Right. Well, thank you for joining us on another I-29 Moo University Dairy Podcast. We'll make sure to include all of the resources and references from today's podcast in the show notes. So be sure to visit the show notes for links and additional information. Until next time. I-29 MooU is an equal opportunity provider for the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries go to extension.iastate.edu forward slash diversity forward slash ext.